Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, this is week three of our sermon series called Thanksgiving. Get it? And I had to say that again because uh, it's just that's what the week that it is. It's Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, so giving and generosity. We're talking about what Scripture has to say about these topics. And I know some of you, if you're just joining us, you're like, oh, no. I have to sit through a sermon at church about giving. Please, what time is the Colts game on again? Like, it's like, I know, I get it, believe me. Now, I, I get it because, because of all the topics that we could be talking about, this one, frankly, money, giving, generosity, it has a lot of baggage associated with it in the church. It just does. There has been no shortage of shame and guilt and, and uh, abuse even because of this topic in the church over the years. I get it. But stick with me. Stick with me because I believe this series is different than what you might be expecting. What you're going to hear from us, what you've been hearing and what you'll continue to hear from us this month is not about guilt and shame at all. It's not about guilt and shame. No, it's about joy and possibility about possibility. And I hope that at the end of these four weeks, you're, you're going to feel uplifted and not beat down. That's my hope. So let's do a quick recap. In week one, uh, Pastor Tim shared with us what Jesus had to say about this topic. Great place to start. He's the one we follow. What did Jesus have to say about giving, about generosity? And he, he showed us that Jesus talked a lot about, uh, about investing in the things that God cares about. Uh, he, he called it storing treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus said, not on earth. Uh, investing in, in things like caring for the poor and the marginalized, sharing with other people. That's what Jesus said, because he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So your heart and your, and your giving, these are connected in a significant way. Well, last week, in week two, I, I argued that, that all the things that Jesus was teaching about giving, about generosity— he wasn't just making them up. He wasn't teaching them in, in a vacuum. In fact, he was actually teaching from a rich tradition that, that went all the way back to the very beginning of the people of Israel, the, the law of Moses, the Torah, and, and this vision that the law lays out for the people of Israel being a, a nation set apart, a nation that's different from the rest. Here's essentially what I said. The law of Moses uh, it called the people of Israel to be a living embodiment of God's presence, of God's justice, and of God's abundance in the world. Israel was supposed to shine, was supposed to shine God's light into the world. And Jesus called his followers to do the same. He said, you are the light of the world. And in both cases, for Israel and for the followers of Jesus, generosity was a key component for how? how to, to be that light. So this week, here's what we're going to do. We are going to look at what happened, because we're kind of looking through the whole sweep of Scripture. We're going to look at what happened when Israel didn't do what they were set out to do, when they really failed at their mission to be set apart, and how uh, there were these, these people, the prophets, which essentially a prophet is just a truth teller, uh, a, a God-empowered truth teller, how the prophets called Israel to get back on track. That's what we'll talk about today. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for this, this morning. Thank you for this opportunity for us to hear your word, to hear your Spirit's voice. I pray uh, as we talk about a, a topic that can be uncomfortable, that can be uh, even frustrating at times, I pray, Father, that you would just clear our hearts and our minds to just hear what you have to say to us. 
I pray that in these moments I would disappear, that your Holy Spirit would remain, and I pray that every one of us would would leave this time together changed from how we were when we came into it. So Father, would you guide us? We are listening. Our hearts are open. Would you speak? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So the main passage that I want us to look at today is in Malachi chapter 3, starting at uh, verse 5. That's going to be page 794 in the house Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, If you're just looking it up in your own Bible, it is the very last book in the Old Testament. Okay, that's Malachi. Before we look at the actual passage, though, I want to give you just a little bit of the, what what I like to call the world behind the text. Uh, What was going on in Malachi's day that would cause him to, to write the things that he wrote. Uh, So Malachi, uh, one of the prophets, one of the truth-tellers of Israel, he lived in Israel at a time when, frankly, they had fallen really far short of the ideal that the law set out for them. They They had drifted so far from God's vision of who they were meant to be. Uh, For example, instead of justice and abundance in Israel, Israel was full of injustice and greed, right? It was the opposite. Uh, And so the prophets, the truth tellers, were pleading with the people to change their ways. And there were a bunch of other prophets, and they all had a pretty similar thing to say, like this passage in Isaiah. Isaiah said this. He said, what sorrow, what sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. But I have heard the Lord of heaven's armies swear a solemn oath. Many houses will stand deserted. Even beautiful mansions will be empty. Ten acres of vineyard will not produce even six gallons of wine. Ten baskets of seed will yield only one basket of grain. All right, now, last week I, I introduced the concept of what I called the positive feedback loop of blessing. All right, so, so that's the idea that uh, God is promising to bless, and we'll talk more about blessing in a minute, but God's promising to bless us or bless the people of Israel when they are generous. And when he blesses them, they have more to be generous with so they can give more away. And then God blesses them more and they have more. And it, 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 it's this positive feedback loop. Well, Isaiah and the other prophets, they're pointing out that Israel is caught in a negative feedback loop of the curse, I'll call it the curse. Um, So they're withholding, right? They're stealing from others. They're being selfish. They're being greedy. Uh, They're they're focusing only on themselves and their needs. And as a result, according to Isaiah and the prophets, they're finding that their abundance is withering, right? Their grain isn't going as far. Their their, uh, vineyards are not producing like they once did. And so what happens? They have less to live on. They have less to to work with. And so what do they want to do? They want to steal more and take more and and become even more selfish, right? It's a negative feedback loop of the curse. The Israelites were stuck in that and they, they were far, far away from who they were meant to be, okay? So that was the kind of what was going on in Israel. And then the prophet Malachi picks right up on that idea. And, and here in chapter three, he describes Essentially, God putting the people on trial for how far they'd fallen away. So we'll start at verse 5. It says, At that time I will put you, the people, on trial. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. 
Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Look, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. All right, so we'll stop there and talk about this, because when you hear this idea of, of cheating God, it's tempting to maybe think that this has to do with some sort of like legal obligation, right? Like, like God made a law that you have to give 10% of your crops to him, and you're not doing it, so you're cheating. You're, you're, you're wrong. But I don't think it's about that. I think it's bigger than that. Remember what we talked about last week. We talked about the, the fact that the law, of the law of Moses, including all of the rules and the regulations that we see and the stories that are in there about giving and gener being generous, this was not some, some static legal code. It was a vision. The law of Moses was a vision uh, of a nation that would show the rest of humanity what's possible. Right? It was, it was, uh, Israel was meant to be the light of the world, a beacon of hope for people who were stuck in injustice and, and greed and acquisitiveness. They could see Israel and understand, yes, there is another way to live, a way of, of open-handedness, a way of generosity, a way of, of love, of compassion, a way of living squarely within the center of God's blessing. That was the vision. That was what the law was all about. But with Israel allowing injustice and, and corruption to take root in their land, with their nation neglecting generosity and not caring for those who are vulnerable or poor, well, they're no different than all the other nations on earth, right? They're just like everybody else. They are caught in the negative feedback loop of the curse, just like everybody else. They are robbing God, not of, of, of money. They're not robbing him of, of, of grain. They are robbing him of his dream, his grand dream of healing the world. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now, that's a little intense, right? I mean, that's how the prophets are. They're all pretty, they're all pretty much like that. But here's the good news. As always... Our God, the God of Israel, is a God of grace, a God of, of second chances or third chances or fourth chances, right? That's who he is. And so even now, even now, God is pleading for the people to get back on track and start being generous again, to do all the stuff that we talked about last week, to, to, to be generous so that the people of God can worship and grow, to be generous uh, so that the the poor and the vulnerable are cared for, to be generous so that the entire community can celebrate in gratitude with what God has done, to, to represent this vision of a nation set apart. God wants to give them another chance to do that. His dream has not died yet. And so here's what he says. Here's what he says in verse 10. He says, look, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. Your land will be a delight. The nations will call you blessed. In other words, you will show the world what's possible. They are going to want some of what you've got if, if you break the cycle of greed and selfishness and acquisitiveness and start being generous again. Now, I love the imagery that, that uh, Malachi is using here because there's layers to it, as, as there are with so many different bits of the, the Old Testament. There's layers to the imagery. So, opening the windows of heaven, okay, that's what he says. God will open the windows of heaven. This is a common ancient metaphor or image for rain, right? Because they kind of thought of, of rain as water that existed up there, and when you open the windows of heaven, the rain comes down and crops can grow. And this is an important metaphor for the Israelites because where they were located in the eastern Mediterranean, they lived in what's called the hill country of Judea. And it was a pretty arid place. And they didn't have big rivers to constantly supply them with water. The Egyptians had the Nile, the Babylonians had the Euphrates, and the Israelites, they had rain. That was it. They had to depend on God to provide it. So, so on one hand here, God is, is making a pretty straightforward promise. God's saying, look, if you give generously and faithfully, I'm going to make it rain. Literally, literally. Test me in this. Try it out. Your crops will have enough water. So that's like a very straightforward promise. But there's a deeper layer here because uh, blessing in, in Scripture is, is often associated with the concept of rain. And look at verse 10. He says, I will pour out a blessing. I will pour out a blessing. That's what the rain symbolizes at a deeper level. Now, I've said this several times already, many times, but blessing in Scripture, being blessed by God, is about way more than just wealth. It's way more than just being rich. In Scripture, God's blessing means God's presence. It means having that God have being with you, being blessed. It's like being blessed is like returning to the Garden of Eden, right? What happens in the garden? Uh, humans can walk openly with God. Uh, in, in, in the garden, uh, there's peace between neighbors. In the garden, there's enough to go around. There's an abundance of food and supplies. Being in the garden means being fruitful in the things that you put your mind to, right? That's what it means to be, to be blessed. God's blessing, in short, it means life. God's life for you, for your family, for your, for your community. That's what he will pour out if, if you trust him enough to be generous. You'll be blessed. Now, Again, I want to make this really clear. So you, I'm just going to be very redundant because I want you to hear me say this. This is not some, some crass idealistic trope that if you give to God, he will make you rich. That's not what this is. But I also want to make this clear. It's also not individualistic. It's also not just some sort of like way to crack the code to get God to give you what you want. No, no, this is a vision of a community, a vision of a community that lives with open palms and, and shows the world that there is another way to live. But when Israel lives within the life-giving blessing of God, when, when his blessing is showering down on them, when God's opening the windows of heaven, all nations on earth are what? They're gonna see it. They're gonna see it and they're gonna want to experience it for themselves. 
full barns and abundant crops and ripe grapes. These are not just just for the well-being of a few lucky people. They are given to create a society which reflects the justice and and the abundance and the presence of God in our broken world. Try it. Put me to the test, God says. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Your land will be a delight. So that's the message that Malachi had for the people of Israel. I guess the the appropriate question at this point is, okay, so what? What does this have to do with us? Well, I kind of want to bring you back to the whole point of this series. What does this have to do with us? Well, this vision for Israel, this vision was laid down in the law of Moses. Uh, This vision is, is, is what the prophets worked so hard to recapture, but this is the exact same vision that Jesus laid out for his followers. And it's why he was saying things like this. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you you have enough food to drink or or clothes to wear. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, which in other words, live in line with God's desires and intentions, and he will give you everything you need. Again, this isn't individualistic. This is about community. This is about the church, the gathered followers of Jesus. If we seek the kingdom, if we, if we invest in the things that God cares about together, if we store our treasures in heaven and not on earth, he will, he will shower us with blessing and the world will see our light. That's how it works. There is another way to live. There's another way, and we get to demonstrate it by by being radically generous in a time of greed, by giving away things that we have in a time of consumerism. That's what we can demonstrate. Try it, God says. Put me to the test. Now, the Israelites, they failed at this, clearly. Like, they never, the prophets were not successful in turning the people around. The Israelites could not break free of the curse, but Jesus could. And Jesus did. He broke the curse. And now, guys, we've got the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ within us. The game has changed because now Jesus, who said these things himself, now can dwell within you and within me. That changes things. And now we have the capacity to do what what Israel never could. And so I believe that, that God is calling us, Grace Church, to pick back up the torch of this vision, to pick back up the torch of of generosity, to carry it into our broken world together, to be the light that our dark world needs. I think we can now live with open palms. I think we can be wildly generous. And I think when we do, we are going to experience the blessings of God as he throws open the windows of heaven. Our generosity, our generosity will show the world that there is another way to live. That's what it boils down to. So that's what it has to do with us. I want to get really practical for a second, though, because this is all grand. This is, these are all great big ideas, and, but I think we need to start talking about some, some nuts and bolts here. 
Um, so last week, I, I gave you some very big concepts about uh, you know, ideas of, of ways to respond that had to do more with our heart, like check your palms, right? What, what's your, your posture towards the money and the things that you have? Uh, I, I said, uh, fight for margin, right? This takes intentionality. You can't just, can't just wake up one day and all of a sudden it all happens. You actually have to work at it. You have to fight for margin in your life. And I, I said, give to your church because all of the reasons that God commanded the Israelites to give, those are all still being enacted and lived out through the church. So that was the, the big picture practical ideas I laid out. But I want to get really specific today and really hopefully relevant. So what I want to do is I want to answer some frequently asked questions. I think that's probably a way I, I'd rather do it. So here's a couple questions that I, I think we can look back at this prophet Malachi's uh, text and, and, and try to answer. So here's the first big, big frequently asked question. How exactly will God bless me if I give? All right, if this is the promise, if I'm going to put God to the test, how is he going to do it? Well, as I've already said, I don't believe that this whole positive feedback loop of blessing has anything to do with making you rich, okay? So if that was your hope, I've dashed it, all right? That's not, the, that's not what this is about. But I do believe that God's blessing is real, his blessing for you and for me is real. It just might not look exactly the way that you expect. So if you look back at this passage, look at how, how God promises to bless uh, the Israelites. Look, look at what he says. He, first of all, he mentions pouring out rain, right? That's God giving them something good. But then he also mentions guarding their crops from insects and disease. That's God protecting them from something bad or preventing something bad. And then he mentions having a huge grape harvest. That's multiplying the work that's already, that's already happening. So blessing to the Israelites meant God doing something good, God preventing something bad, God multiplying something that's already underway. You see, God's blessing takes many, many forms. So here's what I've experienced. I've experienced the fact that, that it really does happen, that when we are generous, uh, God comes through for you in different ways. And I'll talk about some of the other ways, but, but yes, there is, a, uh, there is a reality that God can bless us by giving us exactly what we need in an unexpected way. And so when I was in my 20s, let me just tell you about this. When I was like mid-20s, I was going through my, you know, classic mid-20s uh, experimental phase when you're kind of figuring out your life. But of course, with me, it wasn't like, drugs or anything. It was like generosity. I was like trying to experiment. I'm, I'm a nerd. I know. I was like, how much can I give away and uh, still make it? Like, is that possible? And I, I wasn't really at risk because, I mean, I could always just go live in my parents' basement. I could always, I could just eat dinner at their house. So I was never at real risk. But there was a moment where, you know, I was every year, I was like, can I give, can I tithe an extra percent? Can I give a bit more here? I heard about this specific need, and I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I, I felt compelled to give a, a significant chunk of money to that, to that need. And I was worried, again, because I was like, I don't actually know if I'll be able to buy groceries this week, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, this plunge and, and give it a shot. And so I did. And I was like, the whole time I was like, God, you're going to have to come through for me because I don't really know how this is going to play out. Literally within 12 hours, within 12 hours, I got a phone call out of the blue from someone saying, hey, Barry, we just had this event and we have like 12 Tupperwares left over of chili. Could you use that at all? And I was like, why, yes, I could. And I ate like a king for, for a week. Now, I don't get calls about chili. Like that's out of the blue, but that was how God came through for me and, and, and blessed me in that particular way. A very specific type of king. I, not all kings eat chili like three meals a day, but hey, it worked. So 
I know that's kind of like a, a tiny, silly thing, and of course it could just be a coincidence, but you know what happened in my heart? It changed me. It changed me. It changed my perspective, and it made me more interested in testing God in the whole generosity, blessing, you know, uh, idea. I wanted, to, I wanted to go there and see how far I could take it. So again, that's a small example. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's always going to work like that, that God comes straight through for you and, and uh, meets your practical needs. I've also experienced God doing things that, that I didn't expect. Like, like sometimes God's responded to my generosity, and I've heard of others who feel this way, by giving me a sense of internal peace and, and contentment. I've, I've experienced that uh, sometimes God will make you more energized and more productive in the work that you do. Like, it's like the multiplying the grape harvest, right? He'll actually make your work more effective. That's a kind of blessing. Sometimes he responds to your generosity by making you more satisfied with the things you already have. Or he actually makes you want less. That's cool. Sometimes generosity and giving makes you more loving, makes you more compassionate towards other people. And when that happens, guess what happens? Your relationships start to get a little healthier. And, and suddenly you're finding the blessing of God in, in this like healed relational landscape. And I don't have any way to know this for sure, but I'm positive this happens. You know, I mentioned he, you know, he prevents bad things from happening. He prevents the, the insects and disease from devouring the crops. I think that there is a way that we are blessed by God that we don't ever see because it's God preventing bad things from happening. And we'll never know until we're face to face with him, but I think God does that sometimes. So all I'm trying to say is, is uh, God's blessing takes many forms. So let's get back to the question. How exactly is God going to bless you if you're generous? Here's the answer. You're going to love it. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that this is his promise. The question is not really, what's he going to do for me? The question is, are you willing to trust him enough to give it a shot? That's the question. Are you ready to experience that blessing firsthand? Already, after the last service, I had, I had a good number of people coming up and saying, let me tell you my story, my chili story, right? Because this is how God operates. It's how he operates. All right, so the second frequently asked question that I get is this. Should I give to the church or to other organizations or causes? Well, to answer that, I want to just real briefly remind us of, of what I talked about last week. Why were the Israelites commanded to give? Uh, because these are all still true for the church. Number one, to ensure the people of God can worship and grow, uh, to, to care for the vulnerable, to celebrate in gratitude. That's it. Those are the reasons the Israelites were commanded to give. Now, there are a lot of fantastic nonprofits and organizations that do one or more of those things. I mean, I ran a nonprofit for, for seven years, so I, believe, I was one of them. Like, I, yes, the answer is yes, you should be giving. We should be giving to those organizations. I think, look, if we are to be the light of the world, if we're supposed to shine the love of Jesus into our world, if we're carrying forward this torch, this vision of blessing humanity, then I think we should be the most generous people on the planet. We should be assured of God's blessing as we go, showing the world what's possible. So yes, we should be supporting organizations like that. But as I said last week, as I said last week, the, the giving to the church accomplishes all three of those purposes. And guys, I'm just going to say this. The church is not just some other nonprofit. We're not just some other worthy cause that's one option among many. No, we are the people of God. We are the people of God gathering and living out his purposes, enacting his purposes together. 
And remember, that includes you. That includes you. Together, you, me, this church, we are training every new generation how to follow Jesus. We're, we're uh, serving one another, especially in times of need. We're caring for one another, caring for the vulnerable. That's what we do. We are carrying the beacon of hope that Jesus has given us farther and farther into our broken world. Together. That's why we pool our resources to make all of this possible. That's why, why we give to grace. That's why I give to grace. I want to be part of what God is doing in this community. As we share part of what we have with one another, as we worship, as we celebrate what God is doing in our midst, everyone in this spiritual family, and that includes you and that includes your family, includes the people you care about, everyone can experience the blessing of God that's poured out on us. As his abundant, life-giving presence grows and grows in our midst, as we get caught up in that, that positive feedback loop of blessing as a community, I'll tell you what, it changes us. It changes you. It changes you. Here, here's the deal. Don't give to your church because, because we need it. No, give to your church because you do. You do. So I guess it's another unsatisfying answer to a question. Should you give to the church or should you give to other organizations? Yes. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Finally, and this is real practical, how much should I give? How much should I give? To the church or to any other organization, how much of my income should I be giving away? What does generous look like? Well, to answer this, I want to start with something that might surprise some of you. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you are supposed to give 10% of your income to the church. It doesn't say it. Uh, I know we all think that. That's normal. It's common. But it doesn't actually say it anywhere in Scripture. Now, the Israelites, as we said last week, they were commanded to tithe, which means giving 10% of, of their crops in the law of Moses. But those specific laws in the Torah, in the law of Moses, those don't apply uh, directly to Christ followers. The spirit of them does, but not the specific laws. So you don't have to give 10% to the church. There, I've freed you from that. So how much should you give? How much should you give? Well, I want to remind you of something that, that we've talked about a lot already, which is that giving in Scripture is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, of posture, of having open palms, the concept uh, of a tithe, even a tithe for Israel, is only one part of a much bigger picture, a much bigger picture. For example, yes, the Israelites were commanded to give 10% of their entire harvest to God. That's what uh, Malachi is talking about in verse 10. He said, or yeah, Malachi he says, bring all the tithes into, into the storehouse. That's what he's talking about. But they were also commanded to give a first fruits offering. First fruits, which means uh, the very first harvest of the year, they took the very best, the very first, and they gave it to God. Why? To remember where the rain came from, to remember who gave them that harvest in the first place. That was what they were commanded to give. They also, uh, they gave a part of what they had, like we said last week, to throw these giant harvest parties so that the whole community could eat and celebrate what God had been doing in their midst. And remember where all this abundance came from. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Israelites were leaving the edges of their fields unharvested so uh, that the poor and the, the vulnerable could eat if they didn't have land. They were, they were setting aside every three years, setting aside a huge chunk of their harvest into the town centers so that foreigners and widows and orphans would have food to eat as well. So they're doing this. You, you look at all of that, it's way more than 10%, right? It's way more than 10%. This was not about an amount. This was a, about a vision, 
a vision of, of a generous nation that would show the entire world that there was another way to live, a way uh, of generosity, a lifestyle of generosity. Again, giving in Scripture is not a matter of rules and regulations. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. So here's, here's my suggestion, my very practical suggestion for how much you should be giving away. Give till you feel it. Give till you feel it. Here's what I mean. Give until it requires at least a little bit of sacrifice. So you got to give something up. A little bit of, of, of sacrifice so that you actually have to depend on God to come through for you. Having to, to rely on God to send the reins, not just your own self-sufficiency. Now that's a little bit scary, isn't it? It is. It's a little scary to have to depend on God, but that is when you feel it. That's when you feel it. Now for some of you, look, you make enough money, you live very comfortably. For some of you... You, you make enough that giving 10% of your income away is barely a blip on the radar, right? Let's just be honest. Perhaps, again, this is between you and God, but perhaps God's calling you to be audacious in the portion of your income that you give away. But I, I say that, but for others of you, I know that even giving 1% of your income would require some major sacrifices, so look, I'm not telling you that there's a right amount. I don't think there is. It's between you and God. I'm just asking, what would it look like for you to give till you feel it? To give to, to grace, to give to other nonprofits, to support missionaries, to, to care for vulnerable people that you come across in your day-to-day -day life. What would it look like for you to put God to the test in this? God, are you really going to come through for me? I'm going to give till I feel it. What would it look like for you to live with radical generosity and feel it? I mean, look, are you going to regret it? Are you going to regret it and wish that you'd kept it all for yourself? Or is God going to throw open the windows of heaven and bless you in ways that you can't even dream right now? There is only one way for you to find out for sure. Let's pray. Well, God, again, this is not easy. You are calling us to a way of life that just doesn't come naturally to us. And I know, I know that I'm not alone in saying that because we've been struggling with this in the church since the very beginning, and I know that Israel never even really figured it out. And so what you are calling us to, I, I acknowledge, I recognize that it is hard. And yet, God, I'm so struck with the vision of what you are trying to accomplish in this world, of the dream of a people who are light in this dark world. And I pray, Father, that if this is to be our way forward, if this is something you are calling us to do, to test you in this and to, to, to try it out, Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage to do that. Even in small ways, would you give us the courage to give till we feel it and trust you to make up the rest? It's scary, Father. And yet we know that we have your spirit right here within us. So would you guide us? Would you give us wisdom? And would you give us courage to be the kinds of people that show our hurting, broken world that there is another way to live? We pray all this in the name of Jesus who showed us the way. Amen.